Hello there. Welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. The Tech Means Business Podcast is a series of chats where I talk to interesting people from across the world of technology and business and where those particular two strands of life come together in a lovely mix-up. Today's guest is Mark Templeton. I first became aware of Mark when he was CEO of one of my favourite companies, or at least favourite in the sense that I use its services daily, that's DigitalOcean. However, when I looked at Mark's CV, Americans might say a resume, I also learned he'd been at Citrix. And Citrix, of course, were, if you like, the original virtualization company. And has since, after DigitalOcean, has moved on to run a company called WorkSpot, who are specialists in desktop as a service. Now, desktop as a service, or DAS, is a bit of a hot topic at the moment. Microsoft have just announced uh, a beta version of Windows 365, which is basically a copy of Windows 10, and latterly Windows 11, that you can access either through a remote desktop protocol client like RDP, or even through a web browser, and it seems to be the way that the modern desktop is moving, i.e. a virtualized desktop on a computer running somewhere in the cloud. So if we're talking DAAS, desktop as a service, we're also talking WorkSpot, and we're talking to Mark. So Mark, welcome to the show. Real pleasure to have you to talk to us today. Now, first of all, tell us a little bit about Citrix and uh, what happened there, and well, a bit about your career, really. I'd never worked for a great CEO, and Roger Roberts, who was our CEO at that time, I just uh, just thought the world of the man. And uh, and I wanted to work for a great CEO, and I wanted to have that experience. I think most people want to work for, you know, A players. Uh, secondly, um, I uh, I really thought Citrix was onto something pretty interesting and cool, but it uh, frankly was not really admired by uh, the. Uh, um, pundits and you know the you know the so-called uh digerati experts you know we were we were screen scraping and that wasn't very elegant or very profound but i didn't really care because i thought it you know really had a lot of uses use cases and and i really liked the potential and then the third thing uh was that uh you know, Roger told me that the company, uh, you know, really hoped to be able to uh, go public. And I had never uh, had that experience. I've been on a go public team and I wanted to have that experience. So uh, I made the pitch to my family um, to, uh, to relocate from California uh, to Florida. Uh, and that was in uh, mid-1995. And that was back in the days, um, as you say, when virtualization was, was something of a dirty word and also something of a hack as well, wasn't it? A, a complete hack. And then, of course, even when virtualization became a term, um, no one would accept desktop virtualization and application virtualization in the form that we did it, and that is at the presentation level, okay? Um, they wouldn't even consider it real virtualization. So I'd say in a lot of ways, 
uh, and this is a personal thing as well, you know, we, we at Citrix liked being underdogs, especially in that we were um, able to uh, very uh, regularly um, uh, exceed expectations when it came to customers and partners because the expectations were so low. So do you think that that pushback maybe um, that was going on, do you think it was something to do maybe that uh, virtualization was seen as old-fashioned maybe? You know, it was a throwback to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the old days of mainframes and thin clients, and it was old-fashioned, if you like? Yes, no question about it. And a, a big contributing factor was... Um, because the, the Uber debate was not about virtualization. It was about remote access and how to best do that from a technological perspective. So there were two sorts of camps. Uh, there was the remote control camp, which is basically virtualizing the uh, presentation layer. And then there was the remote node camp, which basically um uh made uh a cl- piece of client software uh that you'd put on a laptop or a desktop uh look uh over a dial up connection like a node on uh you know a lan and um we you know i'd say we won um you know and the companies that were doing remote node didn't make it uh we you know, we did well. And the reason was that um, their technology worked. The problem was that apps were fat and pipes were thin. And so remote node didn't really help with remote access. So the notion of remote control, the way we did it, uh, was the winning solution. So things have kind of come full circle, I guess. Now, obviously, we'll be talking later on about virtual desktops and remote desktops Mm -hmm. in some more detail but just to swing back to your career mark momentarily you left citrix after well shall we just say there were probably a few more than 50 people who worked there by the time you left and it went on and it it floated on the stock exchange and and so on and so forth and then you went to digital ocean for a while and now you're retired yes that's the way i like to explain it joe is that i'm I'm retired from operations, uh, but so, uh, but I'm not retired from governance, uh, and I'll never retire from mentoring and paying it forward to uh, both people who uh, lifted me up uh, and to those, you know, who um, need lifting up, let's just say. And... Um, because I was the beneficiary of mentorship and people taking an interest in me uh, without there being anything in it for them. So, you know, I'm blessed to be at that place in my career. Uh, but uh, the way, you know, I went to DigitalOcean, I, I actually had a, you know, I ha- mostly had a blast, okay? Uh, and when I say mostly, uh, I had a blast doing all the business things like re- recrafting a strategy that allowed 
DigitalOcean to have a unique place in cloud infrastructure and bringing great people to the team and uh, crafting a product strategy to go up stack into PaaS layers and those kinds of things. I've really enjoyed that, okay? Uh, and it has made a big difference in the company's uh, uh, trajectory since. What I, abs- what I realized is I hated commuting to New York, uh, you know, getting on that plane at, you know, getting up at four o'clock on Tuesday morning to get to the airport, to get up to Manhattan, um, you know, in time for first meetings. And so I that, that just, uh, and, and then I realized that, you know, I was kind of finished with the seven days a week, 24 hour a day kind of uh, role, um, you know, because I only have one speed and, um, you know, and I just had taken a couple of years off after Citrix and I realized that I was enjoying, you know, the, 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 the lifestyle I had in the sense of having more flexibility and focusing on uh, board service and mentoring. So, um, but I learned a heck of a lot at DigitalOcean uh, about uh, running a service business, a global one, uh, uh, and at the infrastructure layer where uh, obviously it has to always uh, be on and um and a lot about developers and um uh, as well and one of the i think biggest learnings and you know i know um this touches on some of your own personal um purpose uh is that uh when we look at our numbers uh, uh over two thirds of our revenue came from outside north america we, we had 12 data centers. And then when we would survey uh, our developers, uh, because really our, our customers were, were developers, um, uh, they would uh, tell us things like over 60% of them were self-taught uh, to, to write code. And, um, and they were in all these places around the world, in Africa, uh, in Asia, in kind of all of the economies that, you know, like a thousand years ago were the biggest economies in the world. Uh, they either were taken advantage of or just missed the Industrial Revolution. And uh, based upon my own travel to these places, you know, I understand that STEM education is sort of at the top of a family's list. So a, a kid, like a kid in India, when they get home, you know, mom and dad don't say, Hey, uh, how, how was the cricket, you know, uh, practice today? Uh, they don't say that they want to know what they learned in science and technology. Um, and when I would see what people would build and do, um, I got convinced that they feel like, well, maybe we missed the industrial revolution, but we are not going to miss the digital revolution. And so uh, that was our purpose at DigitalOcean, and that was to to really be an enabler, uh, both an econ- from an economics perspective and a simplicity perspective, 
to um, digital entrepreneurs um, from around the world and uh, to uh, to participate in the digital revolution. So, so what's the best way to put this? I guess the headline act of Digital Ocean is that it offers VPS, VPSs, I suppose, virtual private servers at five US dollars a month. And these days it's very much uh, focused on the developer community and, you know, you can spin up your own instances of, uh, of very common applications and services very, very quickly and very easily for testing and, and so on and so forth, or just to play with, really. It's certainly what the kind of thing I do with it. So these days, DigitalOcean, anyway, is, is very much um, headed towards and aimed at developers. Was that your impetus, then, that moved it towards that developer standpoint during your time as CEO with the company? Yes, yes. And, you know, I'd say yes, but not because I invented that standpoint. It's because that's what the company was about. It just wasn't clear and and or willing to accept that because there were, you know, there were people who wanted to be the disruptor of AWS. And when I finished, you know, kind of laughing at that point of view, um, uh, you know, because, you know, that's just an impossible, you know, uh, perspective in, in, uh, in, uh, for DigitalOcean. Then when we, uh, so what I help them do is, as far as I'm concerned, is really discover who they were, okay, and then be clear about that in such a way that that can be uh, amplified and scaled and repeated over and over. So what we decided we were um, was a cloud platform provider that uh, was designed to super serve the small developer and SMB uh, in their journey to digital transformation. So, so that allowed us to make a lot of, you know, binary decisions about uh, development and so forth. And, and we had already gotten past VPS because the, the VPS competitors that we had, you know, they didn't have the kind of networking and storage um, uh, uh, capabilities that are needed to build you know, an interesting and rich app. Uh, well, certainly uh, you could do it, but you had to build your own networking and own storage capabilities yourself in those, and, and still do in in a VPS world. So we were, so we were above VPS. So we were kind of a, you know, a, we were we felt we were a cloud, bona fide cloud platform, but designed to super serve a segment that uh, what we called Amagoosier, um, which was is a contraction of Amazon, Azure, and Google, um, because they're all the same. You know, they're all doing the same thing to uh, chase the large developer and enterprise customer. And, uh, and we kind of felt like, you know, that's fine. You know, the way you build, the way you build a unique, uh, and valuable company is finding unserved markets and then 
going about uh, super serving them. Yes, it's like you were saying earlier on, Mark, uh, about super serving or, um, and digital ocean, I guess, is a, a super server, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to create uh, object storage or put a firewall in front of your remote system or three or four more services, add some terabytes of data or more memory, it's, it's just a click. So rather than having to hack your way through and piece it all together, this stuff is at least semi automated for the end user. Uh, definitely, and and if you sort of uh, like net it out from a all right, so what's the strategic sort of approach? The strategic approach is simplification via higher higher levels of abstraction. Um, so you know, uh, if you go to Amagusier, they don't have the high levels of abstraction you you know get in there and you can turn any nut bolt screw that you want okay and uh and therefore they're very flexible but it's also very complex so we super serve this kind of self-taught developer by giving them uh, a higher level of abstraction um, uh, to work with so that they could focus uh, on what they wanted to create um, over, you know, how did it actually work, you know, from a nuts and bolts perspective underneath. So the app platform, something we started building when I when, through an acquisition, actually, when I was CEO, and I was really proud to see them finally release it. And it's basically, you know, in some ways, uh, infrastructure and as code, it uh, it's superior to things like Heroku, in that Heroku is a uh, does a similar kind of thing, except it's a black box. And the nice thing about the app platform is you can treat it as a black box if you want to, just like uh, buying a car and never opening the hood, or um, you can actually get under the hood if you want to and tweak one thing or another if you have that, uh, you know, capability and need. So, um, you know, really proud of what that team is doing. But it was it's really about raising the level of abstraction. And I think, you know, WorkSpot um, vis-a-vis um, uh, as a as a desktop service um, is similarly raising the level of abstraction around uh, remote desktops and apps relative to uh, the large incumbent players who tend to take more of a DIY and uh, legacy type uh, cloud based uh, approach versus, uh, you know, what WorkSpot does, uh, in the area of being cloud native. And so, uh, all the cloud native stuff, which by the way, is reasonably complex is completely hidden from the, from the consumer of the service, which is to me, you know, the, the difference between something that has a high abstraction versus a low level of abstraction. Yeah, could we talk a little bit about virtual desktops? 
Um, is the modern VDI still along that Citrix model? I'm thinking now about Zen Server and Thin Client, something like that. <clears throat> is it that situation there with a, a coat of polish? Because obviously mm -hmm. cloud computing is very much more powerful than it was 20 years ago. So what's the difference between what was happening back in the early days and what's happening now in this particular area of desktop virtualization? Well, you know, it's that with a, uh, a, uh, a coat of polish to the degree that um, uh, uh, a Bugatti um, Bergeron uh, is uh, a coat of polish on a Model T. Oh, fantastic. You've mentioned both the cars that happen to be on my front drive as we speak. <laughs> so, so I'd say that, you know, when I was at Citrix, we spent a lot of years trying to uh, make the technology have the flexibility as well as the ease of use uh, that would allow it to go mainstream. And um, we weren't the only ones trying to do that, by the way. And uh, I think we met with, uh, you know, good results, but limited results when it comes to mainstream, because the problem what is with a DIY approach is it there, there are an infinite number of comb combinations and permutations of decisions that you need to make around hardware and software and how to integrate all of it together to come up with a reliable solution. And so even today, customers that are taking the DIY approach, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, every weekend, thousands of people go to home improvement centers and pick up uh, various and sundry um, things to do DIY projects at home. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's a, you. You get a very different result and have a very different experience um, when you um, contract a professional, let's say, cabinet maker, who makes that the cabinet, um, you know, uh, for uh, you know for for a living, and you buy something that they make every single day over and over again. So it's very, you know, reasonably priced. Its quality is, you know, great because of the number of times uh, repetitions um, that the professional puts into making it. And so there, there are two legitimate sort of approaches. It's just that um, the desktop as a service approach using native cloud infrastructure is kind of designed once and consumed over and over. The, the decisions, all the technical decisions around hardware and software and integrating it all and so forth are chosen from cloud componentry, um, not off-the-shelf componentry, and built once into a SaaS solution. And then you can then, as a customer, buy it and just consume it and not worry about how it works and not worry about managing the configuration and worry more about 
how you put it to use. So I think that's the big difference. Um, and P.S., in those early days, we were building a primary market. So we had to evangelize and educate and so forth. And uh, I think those days are over, especially now accelerated by the pandemic uh, in a huge way. Um, I think uh, accelerated by security of data and applications being more difficult uh, than ever. Um, uh, you know, the rise of uh, the gig economy and the need to issue and unissue tools to do uh, to do to get a gig done um, is another uh, another thing that's happened along the way. Um, work from anywhere, you know, obviously we used to, you know, talk about that till we were blue in the face. And now everyone in the world is saying, uh, gee, how are we going to get people to go back to the office? I think that's the next problem. You know, so so it's a very, very different world now that's uh, providing a lot of pull demand, Joe. Uh, and I think that that uh, a utility service like 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 Daz is perfectly timed to fulfill, you know, that demand. So what was it, Mark, about WorkSpot that persuaded you to go and join that company in particular? I mean, I'm sure you're a chap who doesn't have to search for a job. You're not a regular attendee at the at the job seekers at the job seekers <laughs> club. People must approach you all the time. You know, board service is uh you know, obviously, you know, there is compensation, but the the primary compensation is to really uh, help cover help companies and challenge companies from a governance perspective and to feel the joy uh, of of the results of that. You know, to be honest, that's that's what it's about. So um, when it when it came to work spot, you know, there were just a few things uh, at work. So first of all, the founder, Amitabh Sinab, was one of my favorite engineers at Citrix. And, um, you know, in where I come from in the U.S., in the sort of southern part of the U.S., there's a, an expression, uh, you dance with the ones that brung you. Uh, and so, um, uh, so I... You know, I owe a lot to a lot of people. I mean, there's, you know, I I, I really do. And uh, he was one of them. And he asked me uh, after founding the company if I would uh, uh, join the board. And I said I, I really didn't have time, but I would forever be his advisor. So he put me on the advisory board officially. And, um, and then... You know, as the company has gotten more and more uh, momentum, uh, you know, literally doubling in the last 12 months, um, uh, I, I see that Amitabh needs more support. And he came and asked me if I would uh, join the board um, uh, to be able to give more support to him and the team. And so um, I decided to do that. And and then, so that's the sort of relationship side of the reason. 
uh, on the on the product and market and uh, demand side, you know, I see all these trends. Number one, number two, we were trying very hard at Citrix to drive um, the notion of a remote enterprise desktop um, to to mainstream. And third, you know, they have. Uh, there, there are only, to me, there are only two products in the world that actually do this. One and is our competitor, uh, Amazon Workspaces um, and, and WorkSpot. Everything else is some cobbling together of DIY parts. And um, so, you know, I like, uh, uh, just I, I, I think the technology, the way they built it, is uh, very unique and spot on correct and uh, super scalar. Uh, it can run on any cloud. Right now we focus on Azure and uh, GCP, but that doesn't, you know, it's, it, that doesn't mean we won't uh, support uh, other clouds because the company has a multi-cloud strategy, which is important uh, for customers because they, they don't want to be locked into a single cloud for a lot of reasons. So is WorkSpot going hard for the enterprise level, um, levels of virtualization, you know, 1,000 desktops, 10,000 desktops maybe? Yeah, I think uh, so. Our focus <clears throat> has been uh, two things. Uh, first of all, middle to large enterprise um, in, in the horizontal sense, all right, and then in the vertical sense, we've been going after um, workstation uh, business because in, in a lot of, sure, sure. Uh, a, a workstation is going to be a, uh, like a physical workstation is going to be a very high horsepower um, computer that is capable of running the richest of apps like uh, video editing, uh, CAD CAM, um, uh, AR, VR, you know, uh, and all kinds of, uh, you know, media centric kinds of applications uh, that require lots of CPU, lots of GPU, and, and lots of disk. And so uh, the company... Um, the, the product is so capable, let's just say, um, we, it's, it's, a, it's a market segment that we can um, serve uniquely relative to others that are in the market. So even, uh, even though others will do demos, et cetera, we actually have, you know, thousands of real architects, engineers, designers, Etc. that use these kinds of tools with multiple screens and multiple, you know, types of rich applications to get their work done. Uh, and um, so those are the two sort of focal points for the company. We're not really an SMB um, business, although I think we have some SMB potential uh, in the future. I think uh, uh, the focus on middle and large enterprise and and what we call the AEC uh, segment, which stands for architecture, 
engineering and construction. Um, but it also includes design, uh, all the design disciplines as well. So that's, that, that's who our customer is. So just sort of bringing things gradually to a close, Mark, obviously you've got a, a board position at WorkSpot. Um, you're giving those guys uh, a bit of payback, if you like, or paying yep. forward. Um, so what's going to be grabbing your attention over the next five years? What have you got? Um, have you got other projects in mind or are you just sort of keen to take up golf and pretend to be retired but not really be retired? <laughs> well, there is there is a, a shred of truth in your question in that uh, I am retired from operational responsibility, but I'm in but the boards that I select, I select them based upon how engaged, the CEO wants a board member to be. And the more engaged they want, the more I like it because I get to take an operational kind of interest in a vicarious kind of way. I'd say, I say for me, uh, I want to just keep uh, doing the, what I'm doing. And that is uh, investing my time in people and, uh, initiatives that I think make the world a better place and um, help people who, uh, uh, especially those who know how to help themselves and help them develop and and uh, and and create uh, amazing inventions that uh, help the world get on. You know, I, I'm not going to say change the world, just help the the world progress. Uh, and uh, it's it's definitely one of the things that I love about WorkSpot, even though we we do a lot of of workstations. Um, we also do a lot of P, uh, cloud uh, desktops for front office workers as well. And so all of this is enabling the kind of social change and democratization of work uh, from anywhere and um, is contributing to, without getting too political about it, you know, uh, the, the globalization of opportunity uh, and, um, and equity uh, around the world. Uh, and I think it's technologies like WorkSpot uh, are enablers, because remember, if you're a WorkSpot customer, you have reach to talent that's anywhere in the world uh, in a very secure and collaborative kind of way. And uh, that's good for the entity, but it's even better for all of those who, you know, are living in places where the opportunity um, for growth and development and economic progress is uh, not around the corner. Well, as the automated fader of doom brings up the dark clouds of despair at the end of this podcast, it only remains for me to say, Mark Templeton, thank you ever so much uh, for joining us today on the Tech Means Business podcast. It's been absolutely marvellous. I certainly hope we can do it again. I, I really enjoyed our conversation, Joe, and um, uh, I hope so too. I, I'd look forward to another. And it only remains for me to thank the audience. Thank you ever so much for joining us today. I hope that you can join me next time on the Tech Means Business Podcast. Bye for now.